0: Welcome to Let's Open the Bible, where our goal is to open the Bible and look at what it says. For the next few minutes, we will be looking at a passage from one book. We will continue weekly until we finish that book. I'm Tom Nordstrom, and with me is Bill, Casey, and Nate.
1: Welcome to Let's Open the Bible. This is season number three, episode number six. We are in the book of Mark, starting in verse number twenty one through chapter chapter two, verse twenty one through chapter three, verse number six. And so with me I have Nate and Tom, and Nate is going to be doing our reading and then we will discuss the verses that we read this afternoon.
2: All right, Mark chapter two, verses twenty one through chapter three, verse six. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst from the skins and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to him, is it lawful to he- is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm to save life or to kill? But they were silent and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. All right, so what we see here in these uh, verses in Mark, uh, the end of chapter 2 starting in chapter 3, is um, the Pharisees are out to get Jesus. Again, the scribes and Pharisees are these religious Jews. They are the, the big dogs. Um, in the Jewish community, supposed to be very religious and spiritual people, um, but they were really just self-righteous, hypocritical uh, people who wanted to destroy the reputation of Jesus. And so what we see here is a couple accusations that these scribes and Pharisees make against Jesus, and then we see the masterful way that Jesus deals with these, and the whole point in all of these things is, it seems the whole point that Mark is making is that Jesus has the uh, authority to deal with these scribes and Pharisees, and Mark is continuing to build this case that Jesus is uh, from God. Jesus is God because he, uh, he proves that based on the way that he deals with the scribes and Pharisees. So that's kind of a little intro to this section, and then let's jump into some of these accusations and the way that Jesus handles them.
1: So the first one that they accuse him of is this idea of fasting, and he says that the, um, verse 18 says that the disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting, but his disciples were not. And So they come to him with this accusation claim, you know, asking why his disciples are not fasting. And the illustration he uses is the bridegroom, and, you know, if the bridegroom is with you at the wedding is here, do you fast? No, when the, the wedding has gone away, you know, at some point, Uh, There will be a funeral at some point. Um, I've looked at some commentaries, and that's kind of the point it makes. And there will be a time for fasting. But while Jesus is here, this is not the time to fast. Um, And the illustrations continue. The unshrunk cloth and the new cloth. uh, uh, The shrunk cloth and the new cloth. And also the old wineskins and the new wineskins. And the point that it seems to be making is that these two things are kind of incompatible. They don't go together. Um, None of these things listed here go together. You know, why does it make sense to fast fast? While you're at the wedding or while the bridegroom is here There will be a time for that later but not now And so Jesus kind of continues to make that point
0: You know <clears throat> Excuse me uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that there's a time And a place for everything And it it seems like Jesus is telling these Pharisees, these religious leaders Who should have known who he was I mean they they Studied the Torah They studied the books of what we call the old testament they should have realized nobody does this nobody does this except they come from god and yet here they are complaining about everything he's doing and uh, they should have realized that you don't you don't fast when it's time to celebrate and you don't celebrate when it's time to fast
1: the Pharisees seem to me like the the worker that is always the boss that's always over your shoulder looking for you to do something wrong, I and mean, that's what they do with Jesus. Um, I don't know if anyone has worked in an environment like that, but it's really I would say very stressful and just kind of a hard environment to work in to be in when someone is constantly trying to find where you slipped up at or an accusation against you or ways that they can critique or criticize you. And so the Pharisees are always over Jesus' shoulder in his earthly ministry, looking for ways, looking for times to trap him. And, you know, not only do they nitpick, but they also try to put him in situations where they know that it's going to be hard for him to get out. And so really they're kind of like the worst of the worst. in in my opinion,
2: what's interesting and kind of ironic about them being that they are like the micromanaging boss, but what's, kind of ironic is really Jesus is the boss and Jesus is you know that manager and it's like they these you know people who have no authority compared to Jesus are looking at the real boss and trying to micromanage him and looking over his shoulder and waiting for him to slip up so it's a whole uh mess of who has the authority
1: and it's funny because Jesus really does point that out and kind of turns the tables on himself you know kind of Calls them out for where they're at. Um, later on in this section, it's verse number 25. He's going to say, Have you never read? Knowing good and well that they've read the law, they've studied the law, they know the answer to this question, but it's almost like, you know, kind of a slap in the face. You know, haven't you read that this is what happened? Knowing that they've done that, but he's trying to get them to understand um, something even bigger.
0: You know, it's more like they're the tattletale or the teacher's pet, not necessarily the boss, because. Yeah a tattletale or a teacher's pet or those of us who've had have more than one sibling in our family we know there's parents do their best to not have favorites but they all do and we know that and you know so it's like yeah that person has no authority at all they think they have all the authority to go around to saying well you did this and you did that and you did this and It just causes problems and it's you know, it's just one of those things that they don't have authority and Jesus does.
1: It's also interesting to me to note when they have these accusations, at least these first two, it seems to be against the disciples, but they bring the accusation against Jesus, not the disciples. So they don't go and talk to the disciples and ask them you know, why are you doing this? They go straight to Jesus and they ask him. They bring the accusation against him um, and it, it seems to me that Because they are followers of Jesus, they all kind of are in the same group. They go to the leader of the group. But it's just interesting that they don't go to what they would consider, I guess, the source of the problem. They go to Jesus, which is the leader of the group.
2: Um, I guess if we want to kind of start breaking these, the way that Jesus handles these discussions and the illustrations that he gives, um, so there's... First of all, he talks about the bridegroom. We talked about that in the last podcast, so we won't uh, do that again. Um, He then goes on to talk about, he gives two illustrations about the new versus the old. He talks about the cloth, the, the, the unshrunk cloth on an old garment, and then he talks about new wine in an old wineskin. And... These are it's kind of confusing. Um and I remember I was I did I had no idea what in the world this was talking about for a long time. But whenever you um I heard a a, a good um explanation of this and it's it's really quite simple whenever you whenever you think about it. Um and I guess in our time and culture we don't have wine and wineskins like they would have then. But the point is with this shrunk cloth in an unshrunk patch. if you had a tear in your garment, um, you would put a patch on it just like you know we would patch up a pair of, an old pair of jeans or something. And if I understand this correctly, an old cloth over time, it would shrink over time just like whenever we put something in the dryer it shrinks. Um, and whenever cloth is used for the first few times it starts to shrink a little bit more and so, the point that Juice is making here is it's like, imagine you have this old, this really old cloth or this really old garment. Uh, we could use a pair of jeans for an example, and they're already shrunk to the size that they're going to be. They've been dried a couple times and they've shrunk. Well, now we take this patch, this patch that's never been used before. It's never been dried before. And so it is going to, the more it gets used, the more it's going to shrink. The problem with that is if you have this, this garment that is shrunk and then you put an unshrunk patch on it whenever that patch gets wet and then dries it's going to shrink and make a new tear does that does that line up with i mean do you
1: guys yeah i mean i think that's the idea i think that's the same thing with the wine skins. you know i was reading commentary you know if you put I guess the new wine and old wineskin, the one that's already stretched out to its max capacity when the wine ferments and it releases the gas, I don't exactly know how it all works, but it's going to cause that to expand even more, which means it's going to burst. And so new wine goes in new wineskins so they can both expand together. Um, And so really, I think the key word here, the key idea is like incompatibility. They don't go together. These two things don't go together. You would never think to put the new cloth or the new patch on the old pair of jeans or new wine in an old wineskin. Those are meant, you know, new is meant for new, old is meant for old. And so incompatible items here. And so fasting at a wedding, those two things don't go together. You know, when you go to a wedding, there's usually nice food, a lot of food. You eat, you're happy. Um, Those two things don't go together. So really the idea is incompatibility.
0: Do you think it has anything to do with Jesus having to get rid of some of the old teaching, some of this pharisaical teaching that in his disciples, because it sounds like, you know, the new patch, the new wine. You don't, so he has to get rid of, if he just tried to give his disciples the new, his teaching, his teaching with authority, well that will conflict with what the Pharisees or the other religious leaders, because there's more than just the scribes, the Pharisees. I think um, modern scholars think there's at least 12 different sects, you know, because we have the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Then we have the Samaritans, which consider themselves Jewish. The Essenes. The Essenes. I mean, there was, so there's lots of them. And... You know, these disciples all came from different walks of life. Levi is a tax collector. Um, Peter and Simon are, are... Peter and Andrew are fishermen. And so they all come from different walks of life. They would have been exposed to different t- teachings. And Jesus had to do, let them know, Hey, listen, what you were taught is good, but it's not right. Here's the, here's the teaching.
1: Um, I think you make a pretty decent point, and I've never, I guess, really thought about it like that. I mean, it's kind of the difference that we'll see later in the New Testament against the Old and the New Law, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, you know, the old teachings and the new teachings. Um, I haven't really, I guess, studied that through enough to be able to fully make that connection, but I think it's a pretty interesting point that's made there.
2: I think we especially see it. Jesus kind of makes his point very clear in Mark chapter seven, where he's continuing in these discussions with the scribes and Pharisees, and he accuses them in Mark chapter seven, verse that's six, seven, eight, six, seven, and eight, nine. But anyway, the point is in verse eight, he says, you leave the commandments of God and you hold to the traditions of men. And he says in verse nine, chapter seven, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. And it seems like we were talking about, you know, they've, we're going to get into this a little bit, talking about the Sabbath, but they have made this, these extra set of laws. Um, not what God says, they're, they're traditions that they have made laws, and they have stolen the authority or attempted to steal the authority from God. And it, I think you're right that we're kicking out that old, um, and, and you're trying to mix old teachings and old traditions with new Jesus new authority, and Jesus says those are incompatible. Um,
1: yeah. Um, it's interesting there in Mark chapter 7, you know, he mentioned verses 8 and 9, but verse 7 says, In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines of the commandments of men. Um, and that's the same idea. And that's prophesied by Isaiah. And so, like, this stuff that's been going on, I think it kind of, the fulfillment, or the... I guess the climax of those things is kind of seen now, especially with the Pharisees and all the extra um, tangents of the law that they have made. But that seems to be the point that's being made, for sure.
2: All right, I guess we can uh, move on to the second accusation that's made. Um, And originally it was fasting. Now, on the Sabbath, it all goes to the Sabbath. And we see it starting in chapter 2, verse 23... His disciples were going through the grain fields and they were plucking heads of grain. Um, and it was a Sabbath day. I guess just a little bit of background. The Sabbath day in the old law, um, which, interestingly enough, even though they were in the New Testament, they were still under the old law at this time. So they were they were under the old Mosaical law. Um, and the Sabbath was the seventh day. So Saturday was set aside completely for rest. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Um, it's established in the Ten Commandments. And the Sabbath day was supposed to be for d- devoting to God, set aside for God. Um, and it, that was all based off of on the seventh day God rested from creation. Um, so God wanted that seventh day to be uh, set aside and made holy for him, and you were not supposed to work. You were not supposed to go out and you know, collect food and to, to do any of your jobs. You were supposed to stay home and rest and to uh, reflect on, on God. The problem with that is a couple hundred or really a couple thousand years later, here these Jewish leaders have totally skewed what God wanted to do with the Sabbath. And rather than just, you know, God's intention was you stay aside from work and you reflect on me, a couple thousand years later, now here we see these Jewish leaders are are, you know, micromanaging all of the Jews and not letting them do anything anything, and you can't even lay a finger, I mean, you can't even do anything. There's there's a document called the Mishnah, and some of these laws, I should call them traditions, that the, the Pharisees made up about the Sabbath are wild, um, the things that you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath, and this is not what God intended. God intended you don't work and you reflect on me, but the Pharisees had made it uh, much more legalistic than God ever intended, and they accuse Jesus' disciples of they're walking through the field and as you walk through the field you grab a, a head of grain in your hand and you eat that grain and the the Pharisee said we don't do that on the Sabbath and in fact if you go back to the Old Testament that is completely allowed on the Sabbath day um, I think there's a verse in Deuteronomy I don't exactly remember what it is but
1: so the verse in Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy twenty three twenty five, and if I'm not mistaken, I don't think it has anything to do with the Sabbath. It's the idea that the disciples weren't stealing this grain. That was allowed. When they walked through the field, they were allowed to take from the fields that they walked through. And so, fields today, you think about they have a fence that has no trespassing signs. Uh, you can't really get in there. It would probably be considered stealing today if you took grain or food or something from a farmer's field. But under the old law, if you're walking through the edge of the field, You could take grain or pull grain or pluck grain from the field, um, and that was not considered stealing. It was something that was lawful under the Mosaic law. The only, I guess, caveat to that was that you were not allowed to take a sickle to it. So you weren't allowed to go out there and harvest a bunch of it, but you were allowed to pull some, you know, if you were hungry. And Mark doesn't say it, but Matthew does. Um, It does mention that the disciples were hungry, and so they weren't just doing this just to pull grain. You know, they were actually hungry, and they needed some food. And so as they walked along, that's what they did.
0: You know, when we, and we need to be careful even now of doing exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees did. And we talked to, I'm sure our listeners realize that we don't just sit here and, I'm sure our listeners realize that we don't just come here and do the podcast without talking about what we're going to talk about. And we were discussing this a little bit earlier, and it's like, we, we can't sit there and put, if we don't have authority from the scriptures, we can't mind on you things you know um, I use the analogy of you know there are people who when they come to the service you have a call to worship song you have an opening prayer or an announcements and then you have a couple songs and the Lord's Supper and then you have the sermon and a couple more songs and maybe announcements there and then you go home And when you bind that on people, that's when we get into trouble. There's nothing wrong with with if we want to come to worship and sing a song, have a worship service, have the Lord's Supper, and there's really no announcements that need to be made, go home. You know, that's only three things that we've done. We're not sinning, but if I go to another congregation and they have more, and I tell you, oh, no, you can't do that. You're only supposed to have one song. You know, that's sinning because I'm binding on them something that I'm not given authority to bind on them.
2: Uh, I think we see Jesus does another. There's another problem with the Sabbath day uh, or or the Pharisees accuse Jesus again on the Sabbath day. As we get into chapter three, he heals someone on the Sabbath day. And I think we see the point of all of this problem with the Sabbath day and the attitude that the disciples have or the the Pharisees have. um, And we see the Sabbath day was set aside to reflect on God and to, to focus on Him. But rather, the Pharisees took this as an opportunity to look out and measure everyone's level of righteousness and holiness, which in doing that, they themselves were hypocritical because they were not Reflecting on God and focusing on God as the Sabbath day was originally designed for. We see it in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. It says, He entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They watched, this is talking about the Pharisees, they watched Jesus uh, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So here the Pharisees are accusing everybody and waiting for someone to slip up on the Sabbath day so that they could say, You're unrighteous. But in doing that, they were failing to worship God on the Sabbath day the, the way that they were supposed to. So they were the ones sinning and not the other people.
1: It seems to me the, the kind of key to all this is verse number 27 says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Um, the point of the Sabbath was to, you know, focus and meditate on God and, and be joy-filled and just think about the things that God has done for you. And the Pharisees, what they had done, is taking all that joy away and made this very legalistic where you couldn't hardly take a breath or take a step or eat a piece of a grain without having second thoughts about it. So they made it all about themselves. It was no longer about God. It was about their own self-righteous deeds and how they could do things better. And that was the whole point of it. It was that they were trying to make themselves look good. Um, But they were bypassing the whole point of the Sabbath, which was to focus on God and what he has done.
0: You know, you make a very good point about um, worshiping God is supposed to be joyful. It's not a, we're not going around singing a dirge, which I think I'm using the musical term right. You know, we're going around singing joyful songs. Now, there are times, as we've mentioned, where singing a dirge might be fine. But we got to be joyful. We, You know, we're not. Nate made mention that you know these guys, the Pharisees and the scribes. By the way, from my understanding, they were not the most legalistic of the groups that we that we know of, which is saying something considering what we have in the Gospels. Um, But they were, they definitely were legalistic about. You can't walk any further than I think it was a mile, from your house, something like that. But they worked not only worked that, but they said they can't walk more than a mile from their house. But if you took a handful of dirt from your house, you could walk a mile. And then once you got to that mile, you drop that dirt and then pick it up again and go another mile. So they worked their ways around it too. And that's gotten so far away from remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, worship me you know really what is what God is telling them you know and,
2: and um i i think you made a good point a second ago where you said we need to make sure we don't fall into this i know uh the church is often accused of these very things that the disciple or that the pharisees are doing that legalism uh and in fact i think Sometimes the church is rightly accused of this, um, that we've you know sucked the joy out of this, and we don't we we kind of do what the Pharisees are doing here and and we don't follow the Sabbath, but on you know if Sunday is the Lord's day, are our Sundays about worshiping God, or are our Sundays about um, making sure that everybody else is being as righteous as they need to be and and that's the Pharisee's problem sometimes we play the righteousness police like these Pharisees and making sure that everybody else is being quote-unquote righteous. Well, in turn, we lose our focus and we're not being righteous and and holy and uh, worshiping God the way that we need to. But the flip side of that is people take this very, 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 very far in the other direction, and they say, well, Uh, It's not about rules or laws at all, and that's far from the case either. In fact, we see Jesus has some pretty strict rules and pretty strict laws. So there's a balance, and I think the balance comes back to our heart, um, and God can see our heart.
1: And we see how hypocritical um, these people are. If you go over to Luke chapter 13 real quick, Luke chapter 13, um, kind of a same scenario comes down here where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath, and... Some of the rulers of the synagogue here, they have a problem with it. Um, If you look at verse number 14 of Luke chapter 13, it says, But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, but not on the Sabbath. And then verse 15 says, The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? Um, So you see how hypocritical they are. They have... Caveats that they can get by, but then as soon as you know someone from Jesus or his disciples do something that they want to view as unrighteous or unholy, they're going to call them out for it. But yet they're doing the same sort of thing. You know why should the animals be taken care of on the Sabbath and be led to water, but the disciples, when they're hungry, not be able be able to pluck a head of grain? And so really, there's not much difference between the two. Um, but the Pharisees try to make a big deal about the one here in Luke chapter three.
2: Um I was gonna say something, I forgot it. Oh, after Jesus heals this man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, Jesus traps them. This is back to Mark chapter three. They said they accused him. Um they said in verse four, is it lawful on the Sabbath? Uh, sorry, this is Jesus' response based on them accusing them. He said, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm? To save life or to kill? So here Jesus traps them in turn and, and turns their own question. He said, okay, if I can't heal on the Sabbath, you answer these questions. Is it good to do harm, to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill a li- uh, To, to uh, kill on the Sabbath? And there's an obvious answer to that. The obvious answer is it's better to do good on the Sabbath, it's better to save life than to kill on the Sabbath. So here, if the disciples or if the Pharisees answer and they say, well, yeah, it's better to to.'" save life and to do good on the Sabbath. Well, then Jesus has proved his point and said, okay, leave me alone. So they didn't say anything. They just stayed quiet. Um, and we see a number of times in the gospels as the Pharisees answer, um, or Jesus asks a question and, and it's obviously if the Pharisees answer, they're going to, you know, their own word is against them. And it's, it's amazing how many times they just stay silent whenever Jesus asks them something. It's really, uh, kind of funny uh, if we could be there and, and see they're trying to trap and accuse Jesus. And in one sentence, uh, he asked them something and they're just quiet. The, the crickets are chirping. I think that would be comical to, to watch that. Uh, and the point is, Jesus is a master teacher. He's a master debater. And it seems, again, I've mentioned a number of times that That Mark is making the point that Jesus has the authority here. It's not the scribes and Pharisees, but you can clearly see from these interactions that
0: Jesus knows exactly
2: what he's talking about.
0: You know, I'm reading a a book outside of this, and it it talks about, you know, where do you get your um, self worth from, basically. And these scribes and Pharisees, as we've seen so far, and as Jesus will eventually accuse them, I'm not sure if he'll do it in Mark, but he accused them of, you seek affirmation from men, and you need to seek it from God, and everything they are doing here, part of the book is telling uh, was saying that, you know people who are truly unsure of themselves they seek affirmations from other others when it should come from ourselves or god you know that aff- am i doing right in the sight of god then what you think of me i don't care needs to be our attitude and the that is that's where the joy from a person who is truly following god comes from it's not because you know you approve of my singing voice or you approve of the lessons that I provide, it's does God approve of them? And if God approves of them, if you approve, oh well. So,
2: uh, After Jesus traps them in this and he, he kind of mops the floor with uh, them, the Pharisees, they were just mad after Jesus healed this guy. In chapter 3, verse 6, this is where we, we finish the Pharisees left, and they went to the Herodians. mean, um, the Herodians, if I understand, I don't understand all how the Jewish government worked, but essentially the Herodians were um, Jewish leaders that also had some sort of tie to the Roman government. So anyway, the Herodians would have been people who had authority to uh, maybe seek out the Romans to get Jesus killed. So who they got mad. They threw their little temper tantrum and stomped off to someone else who could take care of the problem and figure out how to destroy him. Um, and Jesus, we see over and over and over in Mark, we're only two chapters in, and we've seen that Jesus knows how to handle these situations. He has the authority, um, and nobody else does. And anything that they accuse him of, he is he's taking care of it, um, and he, he knows what he's talking about. Do you guys have anything else? All
0: right. Can you imagine being so small that you're upset that somebody got healed? You know, in the political debate, and I don't really want to do this, but there are people who take joy when somebody that they, per- they disagree with politically, something bad happens to them. I've kind of gotten into the habit of if I hear something bad happening to, to somebody who I disagree with p- politically... I immediately turn off the news so I don't get distracted and say a prayer for them or their family, depending on what happened. You know, such and such person's uh, husband died, immediately shut, or our wife died, immediately shut off the radio and say a prayer offering, you know, asking God to comfort them and maybe open their eyes to what the, you know, but I just, I can no longer stand sitting here or being like, Man, I hope this something really bad happens to this, or, or taking joy that something bad happened to somebody. These are people; they're lost souls. I mean, if they're if they're lost souls, they're lost souls. They need the love of God just as much as I do.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is Mark chapter two verses. I don't remember what we did today. That's Mark chapter two. Uh, next week we're going to jump into. Um, chapter 3, verse 7, and we appreciate you listening, and we hope you will stay tuned in and catch us on the next one. Have a good day. Bye. thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Let's Open the Bible podcast. If you have any questions, or if you want to talk about the next steps in your faith journey, uh, or you are interested in receiving the daily Bible verse over text that corresponds to the content of this podcast, reach out to us at OpenTheBible2022 at gmail.com, and we will get back with you. Uh, We thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Have a good day.